You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. <laughs> this is your host, Susan Simmons, um, pretending to be some kind of man, I guess. I don't know. I swear if I ever get this voice back, it's going to be a miracle. You should not travel. Let's just, I'm not going to. Yeah, let's just go there. Everything I'm going to do now is via Zoom. <laughs> I'm going to stay locked in this podcast room and never go anywhere again. Uh, you definitely brought the crud back from Florida with you. It's, I'm telling y'all, it ain't crud. It's allergies. You well, how did I get it? I don't have allergies. Well, apparently you do but now. But all of a sudden, my throat was sore. I couldn't talk. I never had a sore throat. I the, didn't give you no damn sore this throat. This is the best I've sounded in the last, I don't know, four days. But you've never sounded like this. <laughs> and I didn't talk at all for three days. Yes, that will shock this audience oh, yeah. and people that know me. Well, I, she whispered. Yeah. I whispered. It was, I I feel fine. I just yes. can't talk. That's it. See, and you didn't feel good. That's true. You had something else going uh, on. I don't know. I think it still came from Florida. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm not going back there. Let's put it that way. So anyway, oh, man. you are who? I am TomTheBomb.com. <laughs> <laughs> and I come back. I take a little trip. Trip from hell. We'll talk about that one day. And I come back to Tom has his own office. <laughs> and it's the traffic bureau. Well, let's put some context behind this. Uh-huh. So we have two offices in our main office here that we use to see clients. And Susan has one office that, that that's her office. You're the one who, who, who said that was my office, well, not me. Even when we picked out furniture, you're like, I want this stuff. <laughs> I said I wanted it in that office to lighten it oh, up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, this is your doing. So Come the on. office I was supposed to be using mainly, I guess, when we decorated, I walked in there. There's a big American flag on a wooden board yes. with the big letter A for Alabama. Yes, class. And then it's on the other wall is Susan's credentials. And I'm like, well, where the hell am I supposed to put my stuff at? There are two other walls. <laughs> yes, there. she did say, well, there's two other walls. There's two okay. other perfectly good walls. Yeah. And again, I just was putting a little class in the room. You got to have a little Alabama stuff. Some, a little tide. Somebody asked me yesterday if you were an Alabama fan. Not yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> That's right. We're going to get you indoctrinated. Joel, we're going to get you indoctrinated, too. There you go. Had a boy. See? I knew I, I, knew I was going to like having him in here. And we, Kiss ass. <laughs> and we need to add that to one of our little buttons. There you go. That makes noise. Can you, can you make that happen for us? We need that a big rock. <laughs> so hopefully my voice will hold out. And I won't get 12 phone calls from Hertz. There you go. Today. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Y'all stay tuned because we're going to talk about American Airlines at Hertz in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and it will not be pleasant. And 
it's going to be about my trip from hell. And yeah, it definitely was. And it sure. was, it was bad, bad, bad. But so, so you didn't think coming back and seeing my new office, AKA the bathroom. And, and, and for those of you, I, I have to describe it because I'm looking straight at it. As you go into the bathroom over the top, it says traffic bureau. And then the first thing you see is this picture of a motor cop. And then you walk into the bathroom and to the left is a whole cabinet of Tom's motorcycle helmet, his boots, his gloves. What else is in there? Um, see, I, I can't see it. I, I think that's it. And then a sign that says... I'd poop here again or something like <laughs> With five stars, yeah. Yes. So our bathroom gets five stars. So I'm just glad he found his office, and um, he seems happy with it. Yes. And so I get the other two, the Alabama room and the other room. And, and everybody that walks in there laughs and thinks it's funny. I can't wait for the open house. <laughs> and we have the Tempe Traffic Bureau come there through. Go. Tell them, hey, we need to give you a key to the door. That's right. Here's your building. Here's your room. But anyway, today we are talking about a very serious subject, one that is very near and dear to many of us that work in the mental wellness field with first responders, and one that obviously has been in the limelight Yes. A lot. Especially recently. In yeah. just the last week with the three officer suicides in Chicago in one month. In, yeah, it was it really crazy. in about two in weeks. Two weeks, yeah. It's really what it boiled down to when you really look at it. And, you know, I don't know why this topic doesn't stay at the forefront. I know. All the time. Why do we have to have three suicides in one police department? Right. And you can say, yeah, but it's Chicago PD. Chicago PD is not that much bigger than Phoenix PD right now. Yeah. And can you imagine three in a small department? Oh, I know. It'd be, it'd be devastating to the department. Absolutely. You know? And and it just is very frustrating because this is not a new problem. Right. This is an epidemic. I remember some of the studies when I was first in graduate school 100 years ago. Um, the studies about the NYPD, that they had so many of them back to back to back that people actually started paying attention. And then I guess all of a sudden we stopped paying attention. Right. It's not like the suicide stopped. No. So what do we do about it? We just bring it to attention and go, well, hopefully it goes away because we don't know what to do about it. Till the next one. Right. We've been dealing with this with Border Patrol. Yeah. We have seen this and one of our... Stress coaches actually became a stress coach because his son, who was also Border Patrol, um, shot and killed himself about a month before we met him in a training. Right. And his father, who's a Border Patrol agent, um, I think because of the nature of our training, said, I want to get involved. (laughs) Right. Because this stuff can work. Exactly. Yeah, He. I think that when he heard— what, how Under Shield presents stuff and yes. what we had to offer. I think he was that opened his eyes to, well, at least there's something that is preventative yes. that, that people can actually try to do and, and get better and get out of that darkness that they're in. And I don't think I've ever been in a training before. <laughs> I was caught so off guard. <laughs> yeah. This, I'm talking about suicide prevention, and all of a sudden this guy raises his hand. I have no idea his story, nothing. Yeah, we never met him before. No. And he says, basically, that 
what Border Patrol does sucks in this vein right. of training. That it's all online, and they just keep hitting buttons. Yeah, just click through the program through the buttons. Yep, and that's the program on suicide right. prevention. <clears throat> Yet departments say that they are upset about these numbers, that they want to change things, that they are concerned, but what are they doing? Um, they throwing more of the same resources yes. at the problem, but those resources haven't worked in the past. So I don't know why they think they're going to, with more of those same resources, how's that going to change anything? Exactly. And that's the frustrating part to me because, you know, and we've talked about this before. I remember when um, I was married to DEA, and I remember when the FBI shooting occurred in Miami. And that was when there was a big shift in the federal hmm. side from um, basically revolvers, and they went to semi-automatics. Right. I remember Marshall's partner calling me and saying, go buy him for his birthday. And it was a SIG <laughs> at the time. It was a nine SIG semi-automatic. And so I bought him his first one before DEA ever even issued one. Wow. So bad things happen, and we make changes. Right. Kind of be nice to do it on the front end, but whatever. Then we have Compton and the bank robbers. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden where SWAT and departments have been asking for rifles. Right. And, now everybody's getting them. And, yeah. Yeah, well, it's kind yeah, of sad. It's the norm now. When right. you have to go to the pawn shop. <laughs> right. To get them. <laughs> right. Largest, so that you can actually defend yourself and the fight back. The SWAT team yeah. against two men. Yeah. But we've not taken the same approach. With suicides in this industry. Right. Well, because everything that's being presented out there is all reactionary. Sure. It's it's not it's not preemptive. It's not here's what you can do when you're starting to at that process. Or here's what to look for. Right. So you don't get to that part. Yeah. Um there are some that I think here's what here are signs that you might see. Sure. But it doesn't tell you what you do once you see if you see any of those signs. And most of the signs are once you're way down the road. Right. The depression. Right. You're already having the panic attacks. Yes. Yeah. And at that point, you know, it, it can be dealt with, but why do we want to wait till it gets there? Right. Something has to be done right away yes. at that stage. Yes. And that's the part I don't understand. And again, I have to say this. This is not a bash, the licensed mental health world. Right. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But it's time to get out of the box, people. Right. Law enforcement officers, the suicide rate continues to climb every single year. It's crazy. And this is based on the numbers we know. Exactly, yeah, because no one can get a true, or at least no one has been able to actually get a true count of sure. how many people— especially officers, have committed suicide. Right. Because, first of all, it's embarrassing for a department. Right. And I can remember a department back in Alabama that the chief, they had a an officer, and she actually shot herself twice in the side. And the chief said she was cleaning her firearm. <laughs> and I went in, I was like, huh? And I said, do you realize, first of all, you made your cops look like a bunch of idiots, Right. And your academy looks like a bunch of dumbasses if that's what they're teaching people to do. 
because he made the story was she was cleaning her firearm. Yeah, and I think, how do you clean a firearm that's loaded? I mean, first of all. And why would you put it to your side and pull the trigger not once but twice? Right, yeah. <laughs> After the first time, you'd think, oh, there's a problem here. I, I probably I should check unload it. it. Let's check it. Let's see if there's another one in there. Yeah. Mm, Not pull the trigger again. I don't buy that one. Yeah. And, you know, the research out there is even more horrifying to me. <laughs> it is. And I've been reading some of that lately, last couple of days. And that's, you know, I watched the mental part of the mental health press conference in Chicago, whatever date that was. and. To be honest with you, I was highly offended for the Chicago police officers. I know. Because they make it sound like we're here, you don't reach out to us, so it's your fault. And that's basically what that Dr. Sobo, yes, who's in their head of their EAP at yes. Chicago PD said. Yes. We, we Now he did say that we need to do better mm-hmm. as far as the department and the employees, Absolutely. which is true. But then he wants to make mental illness everybody's responsibility. So basically saying, if you don't reach out for help, then it's your fault. Right. That's that's real effective. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> to hear him talk about, you know, we have 22 clinicians. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a lot more than some departments have. But again, no, it was, it was 11 clinicians. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, 11 clinicians. And one was supposed to, an, another one was supposed to start, like, the next couple of days. That's right. And then two more in the next two weeks. Yes. But I didn't hear any mention of, for example, this last officer that killed herself. And in my opinion, I know you've said it, these are line of duty deaths. Exactly. She had worked 22 <laughs> days straight, 12 hour days. Yeah. And a 12 hour day doesn't mean. No. Right at that 12th hour, we hit that clock and we're out. Exactly. Because, well, or coming in because right. you got to drive into work, however far that is. And, and yeah, Chicago, and ha- it could have been quite a commute. Right. And then you have to be there early enough to get all your stuff ready so that your car's loaded, you're all set to go. Yes. Then go to a briefing of some type. True. And then you go to work. Right. Granted, your briefing time is usually your start time. Sure. But you still have an hour at least, start up in the morning. That you're there at work, you know, sure. getting there and everything. And then at the end of the day, it depends on how your day went. Sure. You, know, you may have to hold over writing reports. You got, you know, arrest paperwork, all that kind of stuff. You know, in Chicago, it might be like NYPD that they actually dress at the department. Right. Which I think is actually a good thing. Yeah. To be honest. But you got to allow for that time. Right. And you're just kind of going, uh, you know, and then it isn't like the bell goes off in a factory and suddenly everything <laughs> yep. shuts down. It's time to go. Good. I'm done for the day. Yeah. Right. And I was kind of laughing because we heard about, I don't remember where we heard it now, about the agency here. It's one of the reservations that has gone to a fire department kind of model right. of officers are on duty 48 hours. <laughs> they sleep at the barracks. And then they're off four days. That's yeah. not necessarily a bad plan. Not necessarily, but just like fire. Yes. So if you work at a fire station that is a busy one, yes. you're not getting sleep. True. So the same thing could happen sure. at the PD. 
if you're in, you know, I don't know how they break it up in the beats or um, areas that they're, you know, certain guys are responsible for. I don't know how that's, you know, each department does things differently. Right. But if you have an area that you're responsible for and it's busy one, sure, you're not getting no sleep. So, so now you're out for 48 hours right. with no good sleep. It, it's absolutely asinine. Um, I have some good friends that are back in Alabama that are in the Birmingham area. They were pulling 16 12-hour shifts. Uh, and it was interesting to watch them in their post <laughs> because it would yeah. go from day three of 12 hours and being exhausted, <coughs> then going to, I don't even know what day <laughs> what it day is. is. <laughs> and I washed my uniform, sorry, Ken, um, and left my uh, little notepad in my uniform. Right. And so the Navy uniform comes out. All blue, white speckles yeah. all over it. Well, if you'll do something that simple, can you imagine? Right. What are you missing on the job? Absolutely. Yeah. The big stuff. Right. And, How's your officer safety? Right. And, you know, and all of this stuff from Chicago about what was the quote? Would you rather have? Oh, what yeah. was it? That would, you, would you rather have officers responding when you're being shot at or or? Not enough officers to respond. Well, to be honest with you, if they're that tired, I'd rather handle it myself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because I remember one time being at a SWAT training in Florida, and this was many years ago. And there was a SWAT medic, and he was talking about long-term call-outs right. where they have to switch out the teams. And he was talking about giving the teams— when they would come off Ambien to sleep. <laughs> and I almost lost my mind. Yeah. And finally, at one point, I got up and I just said, I want to go on the record right now. If I'm ever in this area and I'm a hostage and y'all are doing that kind of crap, just shoot me. Let's yeah. just be done with it. Exactly. There's no reason to drag it out because somebody coming off Ambien to get on the rifle. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a good that's thing. That's not a good plan. <laughs> so let's just get this done. But to say that those are your only two options. Right. Is anybody looking at, first of all, why nobody wants to be a, a police officer, and not just in Chicago, everywhere. Right. This, this isn't just a Chicago problem. No, uh -uh. It, I mean, again, we're talking about in the Birmingham area in Alabama, they're running 12s because they're so short-staffed. Right. And you know what? My attitude is, hey, public, keep screaming defund. Um, you'll have to wait for hours right. for people to respond because we're not going to pull 12s. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And we're not going to pull that many days of 12s. Yeah, you got to have a break. And I don't know what their normal rotation is. Did you ever hear? No, I didn't hear what their normal schedule was. But I would assume with 12s, it's m maybe four on. Yeah, or three. Three and then three off or something. Yeah. But. Probably a fluctuating schedule where you have three days, a couple of days off, four days, a couple of days off, three days, I don't know, something. And we all know that 10 hours is the ideal shift as far as physical wellness, mental right. wellness. But that takes a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of staff. It does. And, you know, the medical community learned this a long time ago. They used to work interns like this in the emergency room. <laughs> and suddenly somebody went, huh, 
we got these guys and gals working like around the clock, right. 24 hours. They're tired. And then we're going to let them make decisions, life, life and death, and death decisions. Yeah. decisions. Right. But nobody sees this with law enforcement. Right. You don't let pilots fly forever. Truckers can't drive right. forever. Yeah. But it's okay. You got a gun. Right. And at least we see that response times are down. <laughs> yeah. Good plan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But this problem of suicide, you know, one of the things we teach, this is a multifaceted issue. It is not mental illness. Please hear me say this. Yeah. It is not mental illness, especially in the way society and law enforcement defines mental illness. You were a cop, and you hear mental illness. What do you think? Crazy. And you think schizophrenia. I mean, y'all right. are crazy. We've <laughs> right, established. But, but beyond beyond just wild crazy. Right. But you're not mentally ill yeah. crazy. You're just crazy. Um, but you think schizophrenics. Yeah. You think the crazy people that you take to some community resource. Right. Or or. And I hate to say this, but, you know, like a person that has bipolar that's suffering from an episodic event. Yes. During that time, they, they're crazy. Because they came off their meds. Right. And, and I think that's one of the points is when we think mental illness, we think it's people who have to be medicated. That's true, yeah. And so, again, I say suicide in this industry is not about mental illness. Right. It's not about medicating people because a lot of the meds, it would— Keep you from being able to do your job. <laughs> right. Yeah, and you couldn't. And we've MMPI'd you to death. Yeah. So let's get away from it being mental illness. Right. And let's talk about mental wellness. Because we've taken people, we've trained them to be problem solvers. And again, we've MMPI'd just so we've said, okay, you're relatively not crazy. So we're going to now train you and expose you. To horrible stuff. To everything unimaginable. Yes. And put you in a position that we've taught you somehow you're supposed to fix those things. Right. But there's no way. No. And we forgot to tell you, you won't <laughs> fix all of it. Exactly. I mean, you can fix some things or sure. at least, or, or at least make a, a relatively good outcome. Temporary, yeah. even even right. if it's temporary. Exactly, but yeah, the things that that you see and experience is just—it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating, or it's horrifying that you know you just think, how can how can that happen? How can one human being do that to another? Exactly, yeah. And then you've got the kids, right? That you know are begging you, don't take mom and dad, <laughs> right. even though the kid's probably the one that called. And is basically horrified that dad's about to kill mom. And now. But they don't want dad to leave. Right. But we don't want him to leave. Right. And you have kids. I do. And you put your children in those positions in your brain. Yeah. Or, you know, and it's funny, when I first started teaching, the old timers, the people that had 10, 15, 20 years on the job would roll their eyes. Like, <laughs> Oh, geez, what does she know? And the new ones were more receptive. Now it's almost a complete flip-flop. And these new recruit classes, you know, you can almost see them going, I don't even know what she's talking about. Right. And not me. It won't happen right. to me. I'm, I'm the fine. exception. Yeah. Yeah, I won't let that stuff bother me. 
and the old timers are sitting back going. Can't hey, wait kid. for it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid, pay attention. That's right. You might want to keep this in the back of your your mind someplace. Because I really wish I'd had somebody right teach me this stuff early on. Right. And um, you know, one of the things that I think probably solidified our training with groups like Haida, right, was Tom and I recently taught a class for. We didn't have them eight hours, did we? Uh, or did pretty, we? No, it was, it was an all-day all class, day. yeah. And um, it included officers and spouses. Right. Which is the group we love because families are the first line of defense. Mm-hmm. And um, Haida does a really good job with evaluations. Yep. It's completely anonymous, and it's the first time I remember it ever happening that someone actually wrote on there the timing of the class was perfect mm-hmm. because this was something they were considering was suicide. And now they wouldn't because they had a plan on why it was happening right. and how to get better. I know, which that that's amazing to, to know that the training had that kind of effect on somebody. That an officer would right. write that. Yeah. And again, we don't know who it was. Don't, and right. it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that they receive the information. Exactly. And, to hear other trainings that are being taught, and then you hear the logic of the so-called gurus in this industry <laughs> that I've been listening to for 30 freaking years. And, you know, it just amazes me when you ask these so-called gurus in the mental health industry who specialize in law enforcement, and you found a study recently. Right. Where they're still saying the same BS. Same stuff, yeah. Yeah, a lady attached to the Walden University. Yeah, she was doing some kind of dissertation or something. Right, yeah. And she cites these people that, again, I've been hearing at IACP. I've heard at conferences all over this country. And these people, how they have an education and an understanding of the industry and can say— it's access to a firearm and, yeah, that just, drives these numbers up. It makes no sense. I mean, yeah, I'll quote it from one of the, she has a paragraph on police suicide, and she actually said, police officers were found to be at an elevated risk for suicide, authors citing stressful working conditions and access to lethal weapons as a factor. Okay, I understand the stressful working conditions, yes. but there's other ways to kill yourself besides using a gun. Yes. Well, and again... <laughs> The stressful working conditions, you're kind of trained on how to handle some of it. Right. Again, we need to do a better job. Right. Um, because what we don't cover is the personal stuff that also impacts you. Exactly. You're supposed to be flipping switches. Yeah. Okay. Separate job and personal. Can't yeah, be that, done. Yeah, that works real well. Cannot be done. And my th- argument has always been to these so-called gurus if that's true, do hunters kill themselves more than non-hunters? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine that that would, just because they have access to a firearm, it makes, it's just idiotic. It's insulting. It is. It, it says also that pre-employment sucks. Right. Because apparently we're hiring people more prone to suicide. It, right. And so, now we're giving them the means to do it. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it is the department's fault. They Maybe. And I actually said this in a chief's conference one time. 
down in West Palm, again, probably 20 years ago. And I had all these sheriffs in there, and I asked, why did they think there were so many issues and problems, divorce, suicide, alcoholism, right. whatever? And this one sheriff basically raised his hand and said, it's the population going into this. And I looked at him. I said, really? I said, so you're telling me that you are hiring people prone to divorce, to suicide, to all these things. And I said, you know what that tells me? And he goes, what? And I said, you're recruiting. And screening, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah, that makes no sense. No. It's because we hired this group of people. Well, Stop hiring that group of people. Exactly. Can't you make some changes on how you, who you want to hire, filter those people? Like, I don't know if we want to have too many of those. And I think that's a lot of the reason MMPIs and psych testing were being implemented. Right. And psychologists. Hey, guys, the problem ain't going away. Right. Nothing's changing. So are you still hiring people prone to this? Right. Because, again, if that's the case, (laughs) your psychologist and your psych testing sucks. Right. Why don't we look at what really is causing it? Mm-hmm. That we're hiring people who are caregivers. That's the number one reason. Right. They want to make change in their community. They want to help somebody. And and it's usually because of things they've experienced in their life that makes them want to get out and make a difference. Right. And so when you take that and then you expose it, but you don't teach it what to do with what they, the garbage. Right. Um, and we don't provide enough types of resources because if you listen to the Chicago's officer brothers press conference, yeah, that was powerful. Yeah, it was. And one of the things he said was that his sister did seek counseling. She saw several counselors. Several counselors. Yeah, and for over a period of time. Yes. And then she had several cancel. <laughs> right, which that really helps. And he said it made her mad. Yeah. Because it sends a message, I don't really care. Right. And, and we hear that same issue here locally in the Phoenix area. Yes. With officers reaching out to their EAPs yep. type such, you know, situations and then not getting called back for two weeks, three oh, weeks. Four weeks is yeah. a lot of them. And then if they do hear back, then it's okay, well— we can see you uh, two months down the road. Yes. Yes. Well, how's that helping someone that might be right at that level where they are in crisis? Exactly. Can't delay things. And then when the help says things like, oh, you have too much trauma. <laughs> yeah. We've heard this too. Yeah. That, I can't believe that somebody would say that. Why would you be on an EAP list for a, poli- a large police department right. and have one officer come in with one critical incident and say, you have too much trauma for me. Right. What, what were you expecting? What would that counselor do with somebody that's had 15 plus years on? Absolutely. Like, well, it's the reason we have the contract with the insurance bill out here because <laughs> mental health was developing PTSD right. from listening to this. Stuff. Right. And, and you know what? That's okay. I, there's a reason I'm not a nurse or a doctor. I couldn't handle blood and smell and that kind of stuff. I I know my limitations. There's a reason I'm not a cop. Never was. I'd be in prison. 
<laughs> that would have been a short career for yes, you. Yes, <laughs> one shift. Stop somebody for speeding, and they go, "I pay your salary." Boom! Boom not anymore. <laughs> no longer your problem. Which is why I had a wonderful sheriff in Alabama that I love dearly, who's deceased now, who said, "Susan, my worst nightmare is coming back and finding you on my payroll <laughs> as a deputy." Sheriff Jones, you got no idea, honey. <laughs> this is just the tip of the iceberg. But when you know your limitation, then step out of it. Right. Don't get involved in it. Yeah. Don't make the problem worse. But, you know, like that, I don't know, counselor, psychologist, whatever that person was, if, if they're saying that that person has too much trauma for them to deal with, then that person psychologist, counselor, whatever, needs to realize that I need to get out of this EAP for this department. I yes. cannot I cannot safely provide mental health to this no. population no. of people because I, I can't handle it. But I doubt very much that that happened. I bet you they're still part of EAP. Oh, you can count on it. Yeah. And, you know, I said, there's a reason I don't go into academies and teach things like taking bombs apart. I bet there's a book there, yeah, for dummies yeah. that I could go in and try to teach. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be very effective. Yeah. So it's not a criticism if this isn't your population. Right. Go deal with bankers and lawyers. Exactly. There's other people that need your help. Absolutely. Yeah. But don't step into a world with the level of trauma that law enforcement has and is exposed to. Right. And then think— all you have to deal with is trauma. And if you can't deal with the trauma, you're out. Right. Okay. But I also don't understand why a lot of these counselors and psychologists that do deal with our population of people, they have no experience at all of None. what the job entails. They've never done a ride along. Nope. They've never been to the shooting range. Nope. I, it, it's... They're just kind of like out there fishing, hoping they're going to catch something. Well, you know, it's... they think y'all are like everybody else. Right. And that was the first thing I learned in graduate school when I got there. And one of my professors, who I had great respect for, and he looked at me and he said, cops are no different than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I thought, <laughs> huh, you ever been married to one? You ever been related to one? You ever spent time with one? Because, yeah, they are. Right. Very different. Exactly. And I think that's the philosophy. You put your pants on the same as everybody else. Yeah, you do. Right. But those pants come home with a whole lot of shit and stuff on them. Exactly. That nobody else ever has to see. Right. And, again, we've said this a million times. To be a sports psychologist, you have to specialize. You don't just get a Ph.D. and go, well, they're like right. everybody else. You have to get the kinesthesiology and that stuff. So if athletes need specialization, why in the world wouldn't our tactical athletes need specialization? Right. And that means training, exposure. You know, when you can ask a psychologist who has dealt with a very large agency with at one, year, one time the most officer-involved shootings in the country, has she ever held a firearm? <laughs> and her answer was, not really. I don't know how that. I yeah. That doesn't even compute. Not in my really. Brain. You either have or you have not. Yeah, that's a yes or no question. Whether loaded or not, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. That's a yes or no. 
And then we wonder why officers don't want to reach out for help. Or like Mark Valenzuela. Yes. Where he shows his, how many seconds? 11. 11 second body cam of his shooting. And the psychologist starts crying when yeah. she sees it. And it's not a blood gory type shooting. You don't really see anything yeah, right. other than Mark reload. And I, yeah. But, and, and the guy going up the stairs. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I thought, that was a hell of a reload, given you got a round in your arm. Exactly. Buddy. Yeah, but she's crying, and it's too much for her to handle. And you just think, some of these body cam things, she really wouldn't be able no. to deal with. uh uh-uh. And so departments have got to get out of their own way. Yeah. Stop blaming officers. Right. Start educating officers, educating families, educating supervisors. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this one <coughs> last couple of days um, since the Chicago stuff. I've been doing more reading on police suicides and mental health and all that kind of stuff. And that's time you won't get back. I, I know it's true. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of I didn't find anything that was really uplifting that. Oh, hey, there's a good positive change. This is something that this department's doing that's really going to work. Sure. Yeah, I didn't find any of that. It was mostly waste, useless studies mm-hmm. that you wonder how much money went into that study. Yes. They give you the same results as every other study. Um, but I've been, you know, thinking more about it. Why don't officers reach out for help? What is, what is, what will it take to get them comfortable enough? Mm-hmm. You know? And I know in a lot of the departments now, there's a lot more talk about mental health, mm-hmm. which is good. It needs to be out in the open but yet there's still that resistance to reach out. Well, let's talk mental wellness, not mental health. Yeah. Even changing terminology makes it more palatable. Because, again, officers are wanting to be physically healthier. Right. And so physical wellness is important. Yeah. But when they hear mental health, what's the opposite? Man, they just shut down right away. Yeah. Mental illness. Exactly. And so changing terminology will help. You know, and I, and I remember, you know, it hadn't been that long, 10 months since I retired. And I, but I remember, you know, back in the day and thinking, well, I don't need any help. Right. I'm, I'm good. I feel fine. Even, you know, and, and for the longest time, I thought I was good fine sure. and didn't really notice any effects. Um, but I always thought I will not reach out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's, I'd have to find that one special person that I would be willing to talk to if it got to that point. And then towards the end of my career, when I needed help, mm-hmm. I still, it was kind of a combination. I, I wasn't recognizing that it was a mental problem that I was having. Right. And that I needed to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. But, so I don't know if it, that kind of prevented me to some extent, because I really, I mean, I was asking myself, what the hell's going on? Why, why am I doing this? Why, what is this happening for and didn't understand it, but I, I still didn't want to go and reach out and ask somebody, hey, this is what's going on. Why is this happening? But don't you think part of that was because you were so close to the end of your career? Probably, and I, well, yeah, I don't know what that was. I, I guess that probably has some to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking in my mind, I just need to finish this career. I just, I'm, I'm close. I only got like two years left. Let's just be done with this. Yeah. Well, I, I take a chance of... Right. Getting dinged at this point. All of point. a sudden now tomorrow I'm I'm retired. Yes. 
Because I went and talked to somebody. Right. Right. And that was the other thing that the Chicago doctor said. We have a way of keeping officers off duty as long as they need to be. Yeah. Which. Nothing about the officer saying when he wants to return. Right. They make the decision. And again, reading, I was reading news articles. Um, an, an officer, his name was like Brian Warner. Okay. He was an officer that had 20 years on with Chicago PD, mm-hmm. and or about right, right around 20. And he was involved in a shooting. He was shot, and he shot and killed the guy that shot him. Only fair. Only fair, right. Um, and he was off for about a year. And during that year, he was seeing a psychologist, mm-hmm. doing everything he was supposed to do. Him and the psychologist made a plan on how he should return to duty and reintegrate into his job Mm -hmm. and so when it was it was about a year brian takes that um plan to the department and the department says nope and they just say no we're not that's basically bs we're chris ferrar all over again yeah we're not doing that and so brian's like well then i'm retired sure i'm done sure so here's what we want you to do you do it (laughs) no it's not good enough right no that plan sucks just go back to work Yeah, I I couldn't believe that when I read that. I was like, unbelievable. And, you know, and I don't blame administrations as much for not knowing what they don't know. They think they're relying on the experts. Right. And again, I am telling you, I know for a fact there are EAP counselors who have helped law enforcement officers. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have. Right. But all it takes is one screwing the system up right and ain't nobody going back to that group again exactly and and if if that one screws somebody up in your department yep everybody in that department is saying i'm not going to eap absolutely and it was funny because one of the posts uh a comment on one of my posts about all this on facebook somebody said i'd get rid of our eap if i could (laughs) well that speaks volumes right I mean, that's sad. Really, it is. And there's some who are very willing to go to eat. Good for you. Right. But everybody won't do that. Right. So it's time now to open the door for additional things a little more progressive out of the box. Right. But how do we get officers to not think that it's weak to go ask for help? You know, when you're having thoughts and, and they're not making sense to you. Sure. If you reach out, why why did why do we think that that makes us look weak? And okay. and I feel the same way. I mean, I you know, when I was on the job, that's the way I thought. Now, granted, with doing all this with Under the Shield, my eyes have been opened, and I sure. see a whole different side of it. It's not there's no weakness in in reaching out. I mean, you figure if you're having suicidal ideations mm-hmm. or or you're actually suicidal, sure, you are living in the darkest moment of your life. Yep. So reaching out, that's your chance. That's the first step that you're taking to see the light again. Should be. Right. Yes. It, it, that's not weakness. That's I'm doing something for the benefit of my life. But when the first thing that's done is we take your badge and gun. <laughs> right. And now how am I going to pay the bills? Yeah. And everybody's going to know because we put out an email. Right. You're locked out of the building. Yeah, you're no longer allowed in the building without an escort. And and we don't say why, so everybody jumps to the same yep, conclusion. Uh, something mental happened. Absolutely. And then we sit back and wonder why people don't want to ask for help. I know. 
It's crazy. And the sad part is you even had to get to where you had physiological yep. stuff going on before you were willing. You were quick to... <laughs> we aren't even going to talk about Tom thinking he's having a stroke, so he pulls his phone out and looks at I himself. I turn the camera around like you're going to do a selfie, and I, I, I remember from some training, they said if you're having a stroke or you're dealing with someone that's having a stroke, ask them to smile. If they can't smile, then they're probably having a stroke. So me, you know, Standing Dr. Tom, <laughs> I turned my camera on like a selfie, and I smiled, and I could smile. So I was like, well, at least I'm not having a stroke. I don't know what the hell's going on, but when a stroke. <laughs> and we have learned since then from our experts, move your tongue side to side. It ain't, it ain't about smiling. Let's move your tongue side to side. So, yeah, the fire guys really love giving me yes, shit over that do. one. Yeah, that you'll never hear the end of that. But the point is, you were quick to start to look at things to kind of assess yourself medically right. and would go to the emergency room for that. Yeah, and spend three days in the hospital for nothing. Right. Oh, absolutely. But we're real hesitant to talk about our thoughts and our feelings. And, and, you know, when I was having those crazy chest pains, the thought never came into my mind, this could be mental. Right. Even after I left the hospital and they said, you didn't have a stroke. Right. We're not afraid that you're going to have one. Or a heart attack. Or a heart attack. Yep. We don't know what, what's going on. Right. We don't know why that happened. So I never thought, man, is this something mental? And With all the other stuff that was going on sure. at that time. And apparently nobody in the medical field thought it either. Well, I did have one guy, one doctor asked me, um, could it have been a panic attack? And even my wife said, have you met this guy? Do you know this guy? He doesn't get worked up about shit. Right. <laughs> He's always level-headed, even keel, you know. Sure. But. Panic attacks can look different for everybody, yeah. too. That's but, the other problem. And that's the crazy thing. I never thought at that time that this could be mental. Right. Something mentally going on with me. And. I probably should have said this in the beginning, and I'll need to say it five or six more times. Suicidal thoughts in this industry are normal thoughts. Right. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. Nobody walks around going, hey, when's the last time you had a suicidal thought? If people were open and honest with each other, because, again, so many of the people here in the Valley that we see come because of word of mouth. Right. Because an officer will go to his buddy and go, hey, I see something happening here. Yeah. I was in that dark uh, yeah. place. I know where you're at. Yes. And that's how our stress coaches become stress coaches. Right. Because they've been in that place, and now they want to help somebody. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the only way to make this happen is through the training. Right. They have to meet you and me. They have to meet our stress coaches. And then they're willing to pick up the phone anonymously. Right. And call or come in. Right. And say, hey, I, I'm experiencing these issues. Yes. Right. Because they know we're not going to overreact. Right. They know we're not going to take their gun and back. Yeah. They know we don't care what their name is. But we offer them solutions. Yes. To get better. Yes. Instead of, well, we need to medicate you. Right. Um, it, and talk about your childhood. <laughs> yeah. Because it. Something has to have happened you, in your childhood. Yes. You had to have been raised, and again, there's a school of thought out there that, not our school of thought, Yeah, that you have to have been raised by alcoholic parents and are sexually abused. Right. 
And Those we'll get that people. out of you in the rubber room. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we don't have a rubber room. <laughs> we have one with these crazy tiles all yes, over. Yes, we did. <laughs> if we had a rubber room, Tom and I would be permanently living <laughs> yeah. in there. Um, but that's that's the part. The stigma can't be removed till we start to bring in new resources. Right. And it has to come through education and training. Right. And, you know, if there's probably a lot of you guys listening to us that haven't been to one of the uh, trainings presented by Under the Shield. But the very first one I went to was down in Yuma. And I'm, I'm not sure if I've told this story or not before on, on a podcast or not. Um, but it was, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe, something like that. Um, and it was on a Friday. It was an all-day class. We had— um, Room was packed. Yeah. And it was hot. It was probably 75 to 100 people in there. We had uh, spouses, significant others also. We had a variety of people. We had some feds. We had some deputies. We had some local PD. Um, there was a good mix. We had a couple Border Patrol in there. Um, and this training went on all day long. Uh, we did do a quick break for lunch, but we were right back in it. And then at the end of the day, Susan had put uh, her business cards up on a corner of a desk and another flyer that she had and told everybody, you know, thanks for being part of the training today. I have my business cards up here for everybody and a flyer. And she had already explained what the flyer was. And for anybody that wants it, and I'm up here available for questions. And you can talk to any one of the presenters today. And an all-day-long Friday class you would think that it's time to go and everybody would leave like during that's what happens during every other police train I've ever been to. Sure. But this class, it didn't happen. Everybody stayed. They stood in line. They came up, they grabbed a business card, a flyer. They were talking to Susan. They were talking to the other presenters. And I was yep. just, I just stood there and like, man, this is crazy. I've never seen this happen. In and, and 27 the, years. Right. And the reason why is because the information resonates with everybody. Yes. It makes sense. It's, I don't, it's I guess, relatable. right. It's almost so simple that you think, how come nobody else is thinking this? Nobody else teaches this. What, what, what's the difference here? And it's, it's all validating, normalizing right. and explaining. Exactly. Here's why this happens. And again, if we can get to officers and first question, if I see something that looks like they're remotely in that dark place. I'm going to ask, are you thinking about it or have you thought about killing yourself? Right. And they'll tell us because we don't even know if we have the right name. Right. Nor do we care. Yeah. And they'll be honest. They always are. And it comes down to 95% of the time, I guarantee you, sleep deprivation. Yeah. That can be turned around in 48 hours. Right. I mean, I wasn't sleeping very good at all. And within a few days, I was like, man, I'm sleeping good. I'm no longer tired in the afternoons like I used to be. Sure. I mean, it was kind of unbelievable how quickly it turned around. Well, and it's interesting, and this is why spouses or not and or <laughs> significant others need to be in the training um, because they see early warning signs. Right. There are a lot of times that an officer will say to me, yeah, they sleep okay, and you see the wife look funny, and I'll go, does he jerk in his sleep? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't mean night terrors and things where you think you're falling off a building or something. I'm just talking about it. it's just a twitch. Mine used to do it all yeah. the time. Oh, I used, to, I used to do it to the point where it would wake me up. Yeah. 
and I could always tell when things were really stressful at work yeah. for Marshall because of that. That means you might be asleep, but you are not getting good quality right. sleep. I think that happened to me every week I was on call Probably. because I was anticipating getting called. When's that next call going to be? When's that fatal? Or am I going to sleep through right. it? Yeah, exactly. Those things, right. yes. Or am I going to answer the phone and hang it up and go back to right, right back to sleep? And what's funny is in this study you were reading, <laughs> what does it say about hopelessness? Um, on which one? About the hopelessness part of it. Oh, it says hopelessness has been found to be a significant contributor to suicide risk. No shit. Yeah. How can you be hopeful when you are sleep deprived? 22 days of 12 hour shifts. (laughs) Where's the hope, people? Yeah. The hope is are they going to, do I actually get a day off this week or are they going to cancel it again? They're probably going to cancel it. And I get the day off and what do I do? I have to sleep. Right. The whole day. I can't spend time with my family. Right. Do the things I need to do. Reach out, maybe. Yeah. For, for mental wellness help, when am I supposed to do that? Right. I, 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 I want to make sure I get this in here because I was reading another uh, paper that was um, from the BMJ journals, Occupation Environmental Med- Medicine, uh-huh. and they did a study, and it involved 272,463 police personnel from 24 countries, wow. which was a lot. It's a lot of people. And... <laughs> there was a, it says, what are the new findings? And these findings were just what was the question? sad. But what was the question? Well, it was it was about the mental health in policing okay. and and what's going on with it and um, why what how comfortable are officers with their mental health stuff uh, to include what are the signs and symptoms that we're seeing what what is everybody experiencing? Okay, and what are the new findings I thought was crazy because it said results suggest that around one in four police officers screened positive for hazardous drinking. I'm not really sure what hazardous drinking is. Yeah, let's define that. Because they also talk in that study about being a, an, an alcoholic. Sure. You know, and that was a different, that was a different category than hazardous drinking. So I'm not really sure. Maybe binge <laughs> drinking is hazardous. I guess. Well, and let me point this out. The alcohol is going to screw up sleep patterns. Yeah. Okay. So. One in seven met criteria for PTSD and depression. And again, what criteria? Meaning they'd been diagnosed? Well, probably not. But the the sim- signs and symptoms that they were presenting, I think, is what they said met the criteria, criteria that if they went and saw a psychologist, they would probably be diagnosed with PTSD. But was that the person reporting it? Like. Y'all know what the criteria for PTSD is? Right. Yeah, no, we don't know. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying in a survey, you're asking people that probably means they far exceed the criteria. Yeah. Because in their brain, they're admitting, yeah, I probably have PTSD. Right. And then the last one was one in 10 met the criteria for anxiety, anxiety disorder or suicidal ideation. And it's just crazy. You think of those numbers, one in 10 for suicidal ideations or, or you know, being suicidal. It, it's Well, how many were honest? Well, and I think because this was such a large group of stuff, I, I think there's. I would give it more credibility just because 
the numbers alone that, from everybody that was involved in. I also saw another study where they they did one from the department uh-huh. and then one that was almost like it was almost identical, but it was done one hundred percent anonymous. Right. At least that's what they were told. Two different things. And the stuff that was reported um, to the department was like, it was 25% less sure. than what was on the anonymous one. Sure. And you, and you still have to think, if I know that I'm getting an anonymous one, it, how anonymous is it really? Exactly. So I think that was still underreported. Sure. You know, but. Well, and again, a lot of times officers don't even recognize that their behaviors are suicidal right. behaviors. Right. You know, and, and like I've been to several suicides, um, and I remember you know, even as a young officer or as even an older when I was a sergeant there at Tempe, I, I went and helped patrol on one. And I remember walking in and seeing the person, and I'm like, man, what leads you to do this? Sure. And now, I didn't go crazy over that thought, but it, it I was thinking about that and thinking, wow, could, is that something I could do? Right. You know, right. And then I would think, well, I don't think I would want to do that to my family. And, you know, I, I, I asked myself all those questions, not that I was thinking about it or right. having suicidal ideations, but it's just a natural thing that you're going to think about when you see that situation, sure. you know, but, you know, some people get worried. Now I'm asking myself those questions. Does that mean I'm having an issue? Right. Well, if you keep thinking about that, the more you think about it, the more you question yourself. And then the more you start thinking about all the other things that you've experienced over your career, then that garbage can, the lids come off now and all kinds of craps, you know, trying to get out. Absolutely. And then that's the time where you need to go talk to somebody. Well, what's funny is I can't tell you how many times I've asked officers, have you thought about killing yourself? No, but you know what, Susan? Ran 110 to that call the other night. <laughs> hey, something happened yeah. to happen. Oh, well. Right. Or, yeah, you know, I went into that high-risk situation. No vest on. Didn't really care. Yeah. Same thing, people. Right. Yeah. Same There's, there's no difference. This is just an industry where you can cover it in a line of duty right. death. That's an admirable, honorable death. Versus suicide. We get all that. Yeah. And we don't overreact to it. No. Nope. We have solutions. We have all these things that if if there's a department out there, I hope somebody from Chicago PD is listening. Right. If they really care about their officers, bring us in. We give a money-back guarantee on our training. Right. Right now, if Chicago called us, we donate a training. I mean, what do they have to lose? Right. Exactly. Another officer? Yeah. Sure. You know, like we said earlier, there was three officers within two weeks, and that was in um, July. Mm -hmm. And in March, they also lost an officer. Right. So, I mean, that's four, at least four this year that I know of just from that police department. I mean, that's ludicrous. And how many were things that really, if you started to dissect it, that are line of duty? Exactly. That actually might possibly be suicide. Right. Well, then, I mean, like Patsy, you know, yes. 22 days, she had been seeing counselors for quite some time. But do you think that she saw anybody in those last 22 days? No. She, when were they going to see? Exactly. She had no time to do anything. No. So how many other officers 
working the same or more number of days in a row sure. are not having that time to go get help, even if they wanted to. That's it. Right. And <laughs> it's good if you can get it. You just can't get it. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I challenge everybody out there. And and I don't want to hear, well, suicide's not a problem in our department. You got to wait till it is a problem. Right. That's kind of stupid. Um, There's somebody in your department that are having suicidal ideation. Absolutely. And you can bet more than one. Right. And it may be fleeting and coming and going, gets better, gets worse, whatever. But with everything happening right now, from all the negativity from the public, from people being disciplined for stupid, stupid things. Right. And I'll call it out, Border Patrol. Yeah. Can't get them for whipping people because they weren't <laughs> whipping people. Right. So instead, we'll just lump it into conduct unbecoming because they use foul language. Right. Or they, they their horse ran in between a kid and a, an adult. Well, nobody was injured. Exactly. There was no problem. But that's b- beyond what you should be doing. And, really? Because they're such experts on yeah. Um, But bring the training in. In 30 years, I've never had a department say, we want our money back. You, If you tell me your people didn't learn something new, yeah. I will give you your money back. Right. Gladly. And, and it's funny to see when we go to trainings and you ask, who's been to a stress class before? Who's been right. to a suicide prevention class before? And everybody raises their hand. And people can talk about, well, these are signs of stress. Yes. But nobody ever has been able to say, well, this is things that we were told to prevent suicide. Right. Nobody. They can't remember anything. And, and even one of our own questions, somebody in a suicide prevention <laughs> two-day training, and he said, where's the prevention? Oh, that's tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it was intervention. Right. It was the person is now suicidal. Here's what you do to keep them from doing it. Right. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that was That's not funny. prevention. No. Um, so it's time to get serious about this stuff. Stop just talking about cops have to, we have to change the culture. That y'all have to be more receptive. Um, no, well, you don't. Well, that would be great if, it, if you could do that. But realistically, it's not going to happen. Well, and you can't be receptive to things that overall haven't worked. Right. Or have been threatening to your career. Right. And that's, that is too often seen by police. Yes. So how are you going to change that? And again, y'all are better psychologists than most PhDs I know. Right. Well, then, you know, you got these some departments, that even we have some local ones here sure. that are saying anybody in a special assignment, is it's mandatory to go see a therapist <laughs> or counselor, whatever, whatever their terminology is. Once a year. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. A check in a box. Right. But if they tell me, hey, you got to go see this person. Yep, doc, I'm good. I'm good. Got no problems. No reoccurring thoughts. Right. No Don't nightmares. plan on killing myself. Right. Sleeping good. Right. Wife's great. Yeah. Kids no are issues. Great. Yeah. Even though I'm a fucking mess. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm not telling this person. Police department psychologist. It's anything. paid by my department. Right, because as soon as I walk ass. out, my gun and badge are gone, and now I'm on light duty and going, do I have a job? Right. And that's only going to make things even worse. Sure. Because now I'm worried, how am I going to pay bills? I'm on disability now. Well, I don't even get my full paycheck now. Yes. 
You know, and some officers, I hate to say this, but they work off duty, and that's the only reason they're surviving is because yes. they, they've now racked up so many bills that they're working off duty and they're living by that off duty paycheck. Or it could, and it's not for boats and no. stuff. It could be medical bills for kids. It could be right. There's all a whole kinds lot of, of things. It. Right. And then they can't work that. So now financially, we're yeah, in worse trouble than we already right. started. And so out. now they're just going to keep swirling Spiraling in that toilet out. bowl. Yes. And there is a solution. This is our whole argument. There is a solution. Do we have the end all be all? No, but we sure have a big piece of it. Right. That's not being taught. Call us the training. We will make it happen in your area. Yeah. We have no limit. The venue sets the limit. Um, but we really encourage the two that, that we really encourage is the one that includes spouses or significant others, <laughs> not and. Please don't do that to me again. I can't handle a wife and a girlfriend at a training. And then the supervisor training. Yeah. These are your first and second lines of defense. And if we're not doing that, and I'm telling you, in the training alone, our phone calls increase with every training we do. Yep. We leave, somebody calls, emails, texts. Yeah. I was in your class. At least one person, at a minimum of one person. And it is, and look, we aren't outrageous in our cost. Um, I've been called a lot of things. Crazy's one of them because I don't charge an outrageous amount. Right. And we don't take insurance. No, 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 no. And again, there's no documentation. But the training itself is, you know, if if $4,000 in the state of Arizona isn't worth the price of one life, right? Uh, then somebody shoot me. Um, and out of state, we'll work with you. Exactly. We've never charged more than 6000 and we will work with you. Yeah. I don't ever want money, I've always said that, to be the reason somebody doesn't get the training. Exactly. And so call us, reach out to us. Please don't ignore this anymore and keep keep up with the same old, same old, it's access to a firearm. So we don't let them take their guns home with them. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Not to mention the nine other ones I have in my safe. So. It, or the ones you can borrow from your buddy. Yeah, exactly. Or the piling on the interstate you can drive into. Right. Or the overpass you can jump off of in front of a 18-wheeler. There's so many ways to do this. Stop making this sound like a simple problem. It is simple in the solution when we start to look at people from sleep deprivation vitamin and mineral deficiencies, we can start to turn things around right. very quickly. But you got to reach out. Exactly. And let's let's get this training going around the country. We'll put ours up against any suicide prevention training yeah. out there. And But you got to call us, and we will send you all the material, whatever you need. You can email us. Um, do we usually put our emails on these descriptions? On our podcast. No, I don't think they are, but it's something. We need we, to start adding yeah. that. Joel, new job for you there, buddy. Um, we'll start making sure our emails are there. But my cell number is 334-324-3570. My cell number is 480-861-6574. Give them the toll free, too. Okay. And thank you, Joel, Joel for this. Um, 
now you're just putting it down. He needs a, I, a toll free. I need money. Tom has a cheat sheet here that our new producer is putting up in front of his face. I don't know why y'all have extension two on there. I don't. Uh, who knows? We'll have to take ask, that off. We'll have to ask somebody. But our toll free number is eight five five eight eight nine two three four eight. You can call us any time of day or night. It doesn't matter. Somebody is going to answer the phone for you. Yes. Um, you're either going to get Susan, um, myself, David Cohen in Alabama. Yes. One of us is going to answer, and we'll figure out who the best person is for you to talk to. Right. We're not a referral source. Right. We handle it, but you got to call us. And we don't even have your phone number. No. Yeah, like my phone rings. It says UTS. Yep, that 855 number. And the, Right. So I don't know who's calling me, where you're at in the country. Nope. No idea. Nope, because it doesn't matter. Right. And we can meet you on Zoom. If you're local, you can come in. Um, we'll talk to you over the phone. I've had people want to text, which makes me laugh because they go, really? Yeah. Texting I, in that kind of documentation? Yeah. Right. Those text messages are somewhere recoverable. Right. Yeah. We may not be able to find them everywhere, but yeah. Um, but you got to reach out to us. Let's take this epidemic seriously right. and make changes, not just blame the gun, not just blame the officer. We, it's time for departments to stand up. It's time for mental health to stand up and go, you know what? We don't have all the answers. Right. They may have some. Yeah. But let us help. Yeah. They, they got to be part of the solution of looking outside of the box. And we are hoping this won't be our only podcast on this. We're actually hoping to have some other people on who are a little more personally involved, right? who are angry as they should be, hurt, and um, are making a lot of noise. And we're hoping to have them on our podcast. Yeah. So stay tuned for other things going on. Um, and again, that number is 855-889-2348. Please, please, please reach out. Families, you can call us if you have concerns. We can make some suggestions. Right. If you can't get the officer to call us. Yeah. At least at least we can give you some information that you may be, may be able to get them to, to sure. look at and sure. listen to. Absolutely. And we want you to know we appreciate you. We appreciate the sacrifices all of you make, especially the families. Uh, we're 100% in your corner. We got your back. Um, but you got to reach out to us. Yep. So God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. And uh, we hope you'll stay tuned for our podcast next week. Don't know what it is yet. We're playing with a couple of ideas. Yeah. It may be a bitch session of Susan. You never know. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Bye.